So Joshua chapter 14. Now these are the areas the Israelites received as an inheritance in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest, Joshua son of Nun, and the heads of the tribal clans of Israel allotted to them. Their inheritances were assigned by lot to the nine and a half tribes, as the Lord had commanded through Moses. Moses had granted the two and a half tribes their inheritance on the east of the Jordan, but had not granted the Levites an inheritance among the rest. For the sons of Joseph had become two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. The Levites received no share of the land, but only towns to live in, with pasture lands for their flocks and herds. So the Israelites divided the land just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now the men of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. When I was, I was 40 years old, when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my brothers who went with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, follow the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said to Moses while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I am just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me on that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Hebron used to be called Kiriath Arba, after Arba, who was the greatest man among the Anakites. Then the land had rest from war. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for giving us your word. And it's our prayer now that as we think about your word, that by your spirit that you would be uh, changing our minds and challenging our hearts. We pray for the kids' church as well. We ask that you would be uh, instilling in young minds and young hearts the great truths of the gospel. Uh, that uh, together we would all be living lives of faithfulness and commitment. And we pray these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. So it's not how you start the Christian life that counts, it's how you finish it. <clears throat> For six years, uh, Cassie and myself ministered the gospel amongst uh, a farming community. Uh, west of the Rangers, and Harry and Celia were a lovely elderly Christian couple 
who became very dear to myself and Cassie as we were uh, ministering uh, in that um, farming community. Uh, they owned a property just uh, a little bit outside of Inverell. And Harry was the kind of farmer who you'd say that he was always going to die with his boots on. You know, the kind of guy that, uh, you know, so long as the Lord gave him every, a breath of life, so long as his body could stand it, uh, he was going to keep on growing wool on the backs of sheep. I used to love uh, visiting Harry and Celia uh, on their property, uh, not only because uh, Harry would take me out in his truck and we'd round up sheep together and so on, but, and not only because they were the kind of people who were always going to press on uh, as being farmers, but because they had always pressed on as Christians. Uh, from youth, uh, right through life, through into old age, they kept trusting the gospel, kept studying the scriptures, uh, were devoted to prayer. Harry was the kind of guy who, you know, if we talk about a problem together, he'd, say, he'd just say, well, how about we bring this before the Lord, shall we? You know, let's, let's do that right here, right now. Uh, they ministered the gospel to others and they helped spread God's word. They were very active uh, in Gideon's, so getting the uh, free copies of the Bible out to as many people as they possibly could. Now, as their 30-something-year-old uh, minister, uh, whenever I drove out of the gate of their farm, uh, I always knew that uh, they had encouraged me more than I had encouraged them. And I'd think to myself, you know what? When I get to their age, I want to be like them. Not that I want to be farm a farmer, but uh, I want to be clinging on to the promises of the gospel and I want to be even more bold for God then than what I am now or back then. And uh, of course, this, this is really important because not everybody does finish the Christian race well. Uh, we might start out really well. Uh, we've maybe learnt the gospel through our families and trust in Jesus or maybe we've been converted uh, along the way sometime and we've started out very well trusting in the gospel, uh, being passionate about the gospel, being very zealous in ministry but as the years roll on we can allow other things to distract us. Money, possessions, relationships, security. So that in many cases what happens is that faith becomes replaced by fear. Fear of losing those things. And commitment becomes replaced by compromise. And the, the cross of Jesus becomes less important to us than what it used to be and less important than getting ahead and being secure uh, in this life. Harry and Celia did not wait until they became old to be faithful. Uh, no, throughout their lives, uh, and Harry used to talk to me about <coughs> his days as a student at Hawkesbury Agricultural College in the Christian group back then, uh, throughout their lives, uh, 
they trusted Christ, they put God first uh, in the good times and in the tough times. And when you make your living off the land, you know what tough times are when you don't actually know uh, if you're going to uh, get a check for your wool. You don't, you don't actually know how you're going to keep on paying the bills and you just put your trust in the Lord. So that by putting their trust in God, in the gospel and, and putting God first in their lives throughout the decades, it meant that in their senior years, uh, trusting God and being bold for the gospel was just who they were. It was the blood in their veins. Just like the man Caleb. In today's passage, Caleb is a man who trusts in the promises of God. A man who, at the ripe old age of 85, literally begs for the opportunity to go into battle for the Lord. How about that, eh? At 85. Now, before we look more at Caleb, I want to just sort of recap a little bit on uh, where we've come to in Joshua and say a little bit about part two of, of Joshua so we get an overall picture of the book. And uh, I want to tell you that a few days ago I was uh, sitting in my backyard. It was, I'd done a bit of work uh, in the cool of the afternoon in the, in the garden and it was one of those opportunities where I didn't actually have any, any meetings to get to, any work to do. I could just sit in the backyard and just, just relax, just clear my thoughts from my head. Uh, we've got a beautiful tree in our backyard, not the gum tree that drops branches, but a beautiful tree. I don't know what it is, but it's a beautiful big tree and has lovely red flowers that, uh, that blossom. And most days, I'm just so busy, I just don't pay any attention to it whatsoever. But there on that day, sitting back, relaxing, just daydreaming, I looked at the tree and I thought, wow, I own a tree. I own a tree. That's a beautiful tree. I own a tree. How about that, eh? Because we own the land. Now, if I were to show you the... There is an official map of our street. Uh, it's called the Deposited Plan. And uh, it's uh, an official map. It's, it's got all of the allotments of all of the uh, properties and all of the dimensions. Uh, it's uh, approved by council. It's deposited with the lands department and so on. Uh, if I were to show you the Deposited Plan of our street, I think you would find that very boring unless you work for council or you're a town planner. You would find, most of us would find that dreadfully boring. Uh, but if I uh, invited you around to my place, uh, well, that'd be far more interesting. We could sit under my tree. We could drink coffee and we could relax. You know, that's far more interesting. Now, the, but the map is not boring to me. It's very important because it clearly states the land which we own, and by the way, ours is the biggest allotment in the street, which is nice to know. The rest of the book of Joshua can seem a little bit like looking at the map of my street. 
boring details, dreary details about allotments, page after page after page of details about which tribe gets which allotment of land, bounded by what river and what mountains and where it is and how big it is. I mean, you know, so far, if you think about uh, what we looked at last year, Joshua has been a pretty exciting book. I mean, the, the crossing of the Jordan River was great, wasn't it? You know, the, God miraculously pulls back the water and the, builds up as a, as a wall of water so that uh, Israel can cross over the, the Jordan. It's exciting stuff. And then there was the, um, uh, the fall of Jericho. The walls of the city of Jericho come tumbling down. That was great stuff. And then there's chapters on how Israel's armies just swept across Canaan and defeating every army that, uh, that oppose them. Terrific stuff. It's, but for the next six chapters, it's detail after detail of land allotments. Yet just like the map of my street... These chapters are very important because what we see here is uh, the uh, <coughs> a picture of the fulfilment of the promises that God made to Abraham. Now, you remember those three things that God promised to Abraham? He promised Abraham, firstly, a people, secondly, a land and a blessing. Well, this is the land being fulfilled. It's the fulfilment of God's promises to Abraham. And so in our passage today, in chapter 14, uh, verses 1 through to 5, Joshua allotted the land of Canaan to the tribes of Israel. Now, two and a half of the tribes have already received their land. They were the tribes that uh, asked Moses if they could actually settle on the western side of the Jordan River. Uh, not the side that Jericho was on, but the earlier side, the western side. And uh, Moses said, fine, so long as you get in there with your brothers and help them to uh, clear out the land of Canaan, you can have the, uh, an allotment on the western side. So that's already been given to them. Uh, this is the allotment on the eastern side, on the, uh, in the land of Canaan itself. And so... Joshua allots the land and in verses 1 to 5 we see that he does so with the leaders of the tribes and also Eleazar the priest. Let me read it to you, verses 1 and 2. Now these are the areas the Israelites received as an inheritance in the land of Canaan which Eleazar the, Eleazar the priest... Joshua, son of Nun, and the heads of the tribal clans of Israel allotted to them. Their inheritances were assigned by lot to the nine and a half tribes, as the Lord had commanded through Moses. Now, why do you think that Eleazar the priest helped Joshua make the allotments? Well, I think it's interesting to think about what the word allotment means. And uh, I'm happy to be corrected on this, but uh, I think that the word allotment means something which has been 
has been given by lot and it's been uh, decided by a lot uh, in the old testament a a lot was a uh, a mechanism which was used by the priest to determine the will of god and it's likely to be connected with the the Urim and the Thummim. Remember the Urim and the Thummim? These are the two stones that the priest would, would keep in his priestly vestments. And uh, the Urim and the Thummim would be used by, the, uh, by God to reveal to the priest and by extension to Israel uh, his will, a yes or no answer to the questions that they uh, sought from the Lord. Well, before Israel had... Uh, crossed over the Jordan River when Moses was still alive and Moses commissioned Joshua to be their leader uh, God told Moses that Eliezer the priest was to be by the side of Joshua that Eliezer the priest was to assist Joshua by obtaining decisions from the Lord and this is what's happening here in these first couple of verses of chapter 14 that Eliezer the priest is assisting Joshua so that these parcels of land become allotments, that they are decided by lot. Therefore, this is not a decision that Joshua is making, this is a decision which is made by the Lord himself. This is the Lord's inheritance, the land that the Lord is giving to each of the tribes. Now, One of the issues here is that not all of the land is actually empty of people. Uh, by far, most of it was. Uh, when Israel's armies had swept through Canaan, they'd driven out most of the people. But on the uh, fringe areas, there were still large sectors of land where there were Canaanite peoples living. And besides, it seems that in the time that had elapsed, some people had actually started to move back in as well. And so uh, there were still a few more battles to be, to be fought. But these were not the major battles against huge armies. These were more like mopping up operations. And it is here that we see somewhat of a disturbing sign. Uh, because remember this. Remember that every single victory that Israel has won has been a miracle. Absolute miracle. Uh, <clears throat> you know, the Jordan River stopped flowing. The walls of Jericho came tumbling down because they blasted what? Not cannons, not, not uh, missiles, but what did they blast? They blasted trumpets, right? It's a miracle. Uh, the, in one battle, they, they needed more daylight out. The sun stood still. And uh, then, uh, then huge armies were wiped out by, uh, <coughs> you know, not spears, but by hailstones, <laughs> right? It's miraculous stuff. I mean, who is it who fights these battles? It's God, isn't it? It's God who fights the battles. And yet, we, would you just go back with me to chapter 13, verse 13 for a moment? Uh, this is a bit early on. This is on the eastern side of the Jordan River. And here, uh, these... Two and a half tribes have, have already received their inheritance, their block of land. They've received it from Moses. But
But have a look at verse 13 of chapter 13, where it says that the, the Israelites did not drive out the people of Geshur and the Makar, so they continue to live among the Israelites to this day. Now, that's, uh, that's interesting, isn't it? And, and, and sadly, sadly, time after time, as we'll see as we go through the rest of Joshua, uh, Israel's tribes on both sides of the Jordan, both sides of the river, they, they didn't do the mopping up operation. They failed to drive out the remaining inhabitants. In chapter 17, the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, they had a bit of a whinge about the allotment that be, had been given to them and they said, we can't do it. We can't drive out the inhabitants. It's too tough a job because the people who live there They've got iron chariots, so we can't do it. Now, what have they forgotten? Well, how about, how about, uh, you know, as if God, remember in, in chapter 11 that Israel had faced a massive army. Uh, it is described as being uh, so big that it's as, as many as the sand on the seashore, a huge army had amassed against Israel, an army that had chariots, which were like the tanks of the Old Testament, and God wiped them out. God won the victory for Israel. But tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, they've, they've forgotten that. They haven't forgotten about it in their head. They know about it. They can't not remember what happened. They've forgotten about it in their hearts. So that faith in God has been replaced by fear of man and compromise and weakness. Now, this, this happens time and time again and there it's sowing a seed for some bad fruit. The bad fruit <coughs> doesn't, <coughs> doesn't appear straight away. The, we see the bad fruit in their children and in their grandchildren and in their great-grandchildren. By the time we get to the next book of the Bible, which is the book of Judges, you know what they say, that one generation really believes the gospel in their heads and their hearts... The next generation understands it in their heads but doesn't really hold it in their hearts. The generation after that forgets it in their heads. By the time you get to judges, there's a whole lot of people who are completely ignorant about God and his salvation. And the seed is sown here by this failure to drive out the inhabitants of the land. Now... That is not the case for the 85-year-old veteran of faith, Caleb. You see, this fear of man was nothing new. 45 years earlier, 
Uh, Israel had miraculously escaped from Egypt through the plagues and through the crossing of the Red Sea. They had uh, travelled through the desert. They were at a place called Kadesh Barnea. They were poised under the leadership of Moses to enter into Canaan and take possession of the land that God had promised when Moses appointed 12 men to covertly enter the land to check it out, do some reconnaissance work and report back so that they could have clear ideas to how they should approach the invasion. And that's what they did. When they reported back, they reported this. It is a wonderful land. It is so fertile. They brought back some of the, some of the produce to, to show how, what it can grow. It's a great land. Uh, there's a problem though, and that's the people. The people who live there, they are large, they are strong, they are formidable, and they include the Anakim. Now, the Anakim, these were the people who descended from the Nephilim. The Nephilim, who in Genesis chapter 6, very mysterious uh, people. They, they, they were the offspring of spiritual beings with human women. We don't know much about them. They're a mystery. Uh, what we do know is that they were formidable that they were big, they were strong, they were great warriors and they were living in the land of Canaan. And so when giving their report, the ten of the spies, they said to Moses and to the whole nation of Israel, we can't go there. They're big, they're strong, we will be defeated. Going into Canaan, that's a suicide mission, do not enter because of these people and the people were swayed by that and because of that uh, refusal to trust God God caused them to wander around in the desert for the next 40 years until that generation had died off all of that generation except for two men because how many spies were there there were 12 spies. Guess who the other two spies were? Verse 6. Now the men of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. Remember, Joshua, remember what he said to you and me? We were united in this. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land and I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I mean, come on now. We, we, we read earlier on in Joshua how when... The, the Canaanites heard of God. Theirs were the hearts that melted with fear. But here it was Israel's hearts that melted with fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, 
The land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. There you go. 45 years earlier, Joshua and Caleb, they were relatively young men. I think they're young men. They were 40 years old. Well, Caleb was 40 years old. And they had given a minority report. A minority report. Of course we can enter this land and claim it. And why? God. (laughs) Because we've got the promise of God. And, you know, guess what? Israel's weak army plus God equals victory. Doesn't matter who the enemy is. Doesn't matter how many there are. Doesn't matter how strong they are. Doesn't matter if they're Anakim. I wonder if you've noticed how it is that God, he doesn't always choose the kind of people that we would think we would choose to do the great things for him. Uh, God has a tendency to choose ordinary people, uh, even people who are weak, uh, people who are not even necessarily confident. And he does great things as they are bold for God, as they speak the word of God, Satan's strongholds are broken down. God chooses the weak and the lowly to shame the strong and the, and the mighty because, well, he wants all of the glory and honour to go to him. And he wants to make that clear. By the way, when Caleb and Joshua spoke out against the fear and the unfaithfulness of the other 10 spies it almost cost them their lives because the crowd became so angry with them that the crowd wanted to stone them to death i guess they thought you know if if they if they weren't afraid of the anakim they probably wouldn't be afraid of the people of israel either but there is a point here and that is that standing up for godliness against the crowd can be unpopular it can be costly whether it is uh, at work, uh, when you're asked to compromise on some issue uh, against God's will, whether it's at school, uh, when you have to stand up for purity and righteousness, whether it's in your family, uh, when you are mocked for being Christian or going to church, uh, we need to learn to trust God more than to fear man. When we do that, then we can be bold for him. Now, did you get the idea that Caleb's waited a long time for this moment? Check out verse 10. In verse 10 he says, Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses. While Israel moved around about in the desert, now that must have been a hard life for Caleb for 45 years, moving around as a no-band in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? You know, I, I remember a, a faithful and respected uh, minister who uh, 
who I knew, and he was, he was a few years off retirement. Uh, he had uh, returned to Sydney because he'd been serving overseas in a prominent ministry position. And when he returned to Sydney, the, the leaders of uh, his denomination, uh, he said that they, they met with him and they offered him a choice of denominational positions which would be um, in keeping with his prominent reputation and would give him an opportunity to sort of wind down a little bit before his retirement as well. And head office kind of uh, jobs that they are offering to him. And he said that, he said, well, I actually said to them, what's the toughest church that doesn't have a minister that you've got? What's the church that no other minister wants to go to? <laughs> because it's really hard. Give me that job. So I, I've still got a bit of strength left in me. And the gospel's powerful. God is strong. Give me that job. So they did. <laughs> they, they found the hardest parish in the, in the, in the, in the region. It was a, uh, a dying church uh, with people who had a reputation for not wanting to change at all. And several ministers before had given up. So they gave him the toughest job that they could find. And that's what he wanted. And for the next few years, he just faithfully taught the gospel. Uh, <clears throat> he evangelized uh, the suburb. And a handful of people uh, did come to put their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. And you know what? One sinner that repents, the angels are rejoicing. I call that a victory, don't you? I call that a victory. I also call that finishing strong. Like Caleb. Don't you love Caleb's attitude in verse 11? So see what he says about himself? He says, Behold, behold, I might be 85 years old, but I'm just as physically fit as I was when I was 40. I'm just as strong. I'm not sure if he had an inflated view of his physical condition or not. But I'm ready for battle. Bring it on. Been waiting 45 years for this. <laughs> but 45 years and more of trusting in the promises of God and putting God first. You see... Caleb didn't suddenly become faithful at 85, although, thank the Lord, he sometimes does do that with people. Caleb was faithful at 40. Caleb was faithful before 40. Caleb had seen God's power when God had saved Israel through the plagues of Egypt and crossing the Red Sea. Caleb trusted God. And he would stake his life on the promises of God, as he did. When he came back from <clears throat> the land and said, hey, we can enter. And the people said, well, we're going to stone you to death. He didn't back down. It shaped his life. 
And you and I, we know of God's promise and God's power. Uh, the promise that, as Paul makes in Coloss- shares with us in Colossians 2, that, that Christ's death has defeated the enemy. That by his death on the cross, that Christ, that Christ has, has deprived Satan of the very thing, the power that he had over us, which is the guilt of our sin, because the guilt of our sin has been paid for on the cross. Satan has been disarmed. The battle's been won. We know that, don't we? We know that. And the promise is that because of Christ's death that we have been, our sin's been paid for, that we can be forgiven, that the enemy has been defeated. And the proof of the enemy has been defeated, we've seen the power, the power which God exerted when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead, opening up heaven for us, our allotment, our land, our heavenly home. But if we want to finish our race strong, when is the time to start being faithful? It's now, isn't it? Today is as good as day as any to be faithful. And every day from here on. Because the decisions that we make throughout life, as a young person, as a middle-aged person, as a person who's getting on in years, the decisions that we make throughout our life to trust in God and to put God first, they affect how we finish. They affect whether we finish, whether we cross that finishing line strong or whether we just kind of whimper across the line or, God forbid, that we fall short of the line every day. Instead of fear of man, we should have faith in God. Instead of compromise to the promises of this world, we should be committed to the promises of our God. Now, notice that, like my friend, the older minister, that Caleb did not ask Joshua for an easy allotment. 45 years earlier, Caleb had trusted that God could defeat the Anakim. Well, got to tell you this, age has not wearied his faith. He still believed that, that God could defeat the Anakim. And so he says to Joshua, he says, give me the land where the Anakim live, please. Let me at them. Because in verse 12, with the help of God... An 85-year-old, plus God, can drive out the strongest of the strong. And that's what I call finishing strong. How are you going in the Christian race? Because of the gospel, we know that we can trust God step by step, day after day. And therefore, we can keep on being bold in serving him. 
in whatever ways the Lord gives us strength to do. We've all got different abilities, uh, different opportunities, different gifts. The question is, do you want to be bolder for God in 20 years' time than, you, when, than what you are now? I do. So this, the time to start being bold for God is now. And putting your trust in Jesus and obeying him. There's one more thing before we pray. <clears throat> and that is in verse 15, the city which uh, Caleb conquered, uh, the Anakite city, it used to be called Kiriath Arba. And uh, <clears throat> Joshua 15 tells us the meaning of that. The meaning is the city of Arba. Because the Anakites, they were the great people, but a great man amongst this great people was a man called Arba, the greatest of the greats of the Anakites, had a city named after him. Well, I tell you what, he might be great as far as the Anakites are concerned, but compared to Caleb, he's a nobody. <laughs> Caleb finished strong. We've got to do the same. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your... Um, your faithfulness to your promises. That what you promise that you will do, uh, we can stake our lives on it. Father, we thank you for your great power. Your great power that has defe defeated the evil one and has guaranteed for us an allotment uh, in your heaven. Help us, Lord God, to uh, be faithful every day. Help us to be bold for you and help us to be even bolder for you uh, in the future. That we would be men and women who finish the race well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.